Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. Please help by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast if you're watching this on YouTube or BitChute. These are all free and help out a great deal. Word of mouth is how shows like this reach more people who are interested. Another way you can support this podcast is by way of a PayPal tip jar. You can leave a donation of any amount you like or set up a monthly donation just like Patreon or Subscribestar. Only I don't make you pay for my content. I only ask for your support. There is a link in the description. I sincerely appreciate your interest and support. The Joe and Boken hold a special place in the Aikido world. They are both viewed with great reverence among Aikido practitioners, the Boken in particular. This makes sense to a point as the Japanese sword was a symbol of power to the samurai class and was viewed as far more than a tool of the trade. In today's podcast, I'm going to examine the study of the Joe and the Boken in Aikido. What does the practice with these weapons afford us as practitioners? Are they practical? And what is the basis for our study with them? Starting from the thousand-foot view, these were weapons that Osensei practiced with. There are many films and photographs of him wielding them and showing their use. We're so used to them being a part of our practice that we really don't think that much about them. We practice katas with both Boken and Joe, memorizing patterns of movement, strikes, deflections, and blocks. The very first thing to appreciate is that Osensei didn't use katas at all. The katas used in Aikido were created by his students as a method for remembering the movements that they saw him do. In essence, they codified the free-form movements that Osensei showed. Osensei never taught weapons katas nor used them himself. I won't go down the rabbit hole of whether katas are sufficient training for actually using either in a combat situation. That is, against a live opponent. I cover that in greater detail in episode 71, The Stupidity of Kata. If you cannot tell by the name, I don't believe kata are sufficient to build all the skills necessary to make a good fighter. You can look at all active combat sports and they do use practice movements to train fighters, but long pattern movements are not used to do so. Arts like karate use katas, but they are not a tool used by the competitive fighters much. If they were of value, you would see boxers, Muay Thai fighters, and all manner of sport athletes using them. And they don't. Taking a slightly closer look at our source, Osensei, it is fairly well known that Morahai had mid-grade certificates in Sojutsu, which is spear arts, and Ken, sword arts, from training he did in his youth. Clearly, he did have some training and exposure to them. It was also noted that he was very talented with the bayonet, as shown in his time in the military. These skills emerged in training, and there does not appear to be any evidence supporting the idea that he actually used the bayonet in combat or that he saw any live combat during his time in the military. I will point you to an illuminating discussion on Guillaume Arard's YouTube channel with Alex Bennett, Baptiste Traverner, and Jordi Delage, and forgive me if I mispronounced any of those names. You may not recognize the names, but they are all senior instructors and practitioners from the world of kendo, kenjutsu, and traditional Japanese weapon arts. The discussion is quite in-depth, and it is in three segments. I'll leave a link to the first section in the description. I recommend you check it out, because within it they discuss their observations about Morahai's form and how he wields the weapons based on the film footage available. They point out that what Morahai does is not consistent with what those who are experts in Japanese weapons do. This would make sense because it would reflect the fact that Morahai's exposure to these arts was limited. He may have had great talent in those arts, but since there's no tangible validation for it, we will never know for sure. Doing demonstrations alone is not a validation for skill in fighting. 
I do believe Morahai was more than likely a once-in-a-generation extraordinary talent in general, but that doesn't mean that everything he did was valid. He was also human and therefore had faults and shortcomings. While we can see him in film and photos with weapons, I'm not sure just how much of this he actually taught. By modern standards, we would criticize an instructor teaching things they are not well familiar with, and rightfully so. The fact that he was willing to do demonstrations on film seems to indicate he was confident in his skill with them. If he merely dabbled with weapons work, it doesn't seem likely he would have chosen to have his weapon work filmed. We only have what is left to go by. I can tell you from first-hand experience, though, that precise movements and good weapon handling are not nearly enough to make one skilled at real weapon combat. Just like being able to do excellent speed bag work and pound a heavy bag with thundering power doesn't make you win boxing matches. They can help, but the skills of reading an opponent, having a solid defense, and executing the right attacks at the right time are crucial to success against a live attacker. One thing I was always interested in was sources on quarterstaff fighting. My background was full contact weapon competition, but the weapons always emulated bladed weapons. In particular, staff weapons represented spears and halberds or polearms. These always had only a single striking edge, which were the blades. The quarterstaff intrigued me because you could strike not only with both ends, but the middle section. Whenever I came across a class or demonstration of quarterstaff, I would eagerly go and watch or participate. I hoped to gain insights to the nuances of this weapon. I surmised that a quarterstaff would be somewhat similar to how a joe would be wielded in a fight. The joe is shorter than a typical quarterstaff, which means it would be more maneuverable. However, the ability to strike with both ends and the middle would likely be quite similar. Over the years, I attended probably half a dozen or so classes or demonstrations on it. I'd say I saw about twice that many videos or video instruction courses on it, too. And they were quite consistent with what I was exposed to in person. So what was the main theme of what was shown in regards to quarterstaff? It was really nothing more than flourishing. Classes and demonstrations are nothing more than twirling the staff around and handling skills. Granted, these skills take practice and are not easy to pick up. What I learned in live competition is that changing grips was risky. Whenever you remove one hand from the weapon, your opponent has the opportunity to knock your weapon out of the way or manipulate it. I also learned that swinging a weapon in the empty air is a world of difference from actually hitting something with it and having someone else try to hit you. After a couple of decades of live opponent experience, I found very little of value with the flourishing work that quarterstaff enthusiasts seem to focus on. They could do some impressive maneuvers, but nothing which was practical against an even mildly skilled opponent. Every once in a blue moon, we would have a martial artist come in and try full contact combat. Usually they would have the belief that their extensive martial art training would fast-track them to being a skilled competitive fighter. In almost every case, it didn't happen. The reason being that they didn't realize the massive gap between doing katas and waving weapons around in the air and having a person trying to evade your strikes and hit you. This gap is huge and not easy to adapt to. There were a few who crossed this gap, and the ones who did were quick to set their ego aside and learn about this much different set of skills. The vast majority, though, were not happy to discover that their solo work was of little use and you could see the frustration written on their faces. A live opponent is a whole different world from solo work. That is where a great deal of Aikido weapons work resides. Not all of it, of course. The most notable exception is Jonage, which is where an attacker tries to grab your Joe and you apply a technique with it. 
I find that while this is not very realistic practice, getting good at it really improves your understanding of the nuances of empty hand techniques. It's a training drill, not a good representation of what would happen if you were holding a Joe and were attacked by someone without a weapon. The next partnered work typical in Aikido is Joe Dory or Ken Dory, which are disarming an attacker with a Joe or a sword when you are empty handed. I find these utterly ridiculous in terms of practical reality. They are fun to practice though, and you can improve a bit of your timing and entries with them. However, if you ever found yourself faced with an attacker with such a weapon, you would be foolish to go into their range empty-handed. Particularly against a sword, it would be suicide. Even looking at how slow, deep, and heavily telegraphed these attacks must be to make Nage's job of disarming possible, it's quite clear that these are impractical to the point of being ridiculous. The more Aikido practitioners claim that these are viable and practical, the more we come across as totally delusional. This really needs to stop. If we practice those things, we need to be honest that they are not practical and should not be used in a real attack under the same conditions. The Aikido that I was taught also includes a few paired kata Joe forms. That is that Uke makes a series of attacks with the Joe and Naga uses his Joe to block and counter the attacks at certain points. I'm not sure all Aikido organizations teach these or not, but clearly some do. Katori Shinto Ru does extensive work with these paired weapons katas. These are a little better than solo katas because you at least have an opponent in front of you, which gives you the chance to gauge range and angles. You also get used to reading movement and responding to it. The downside is that since all you are doing is smacking weapons against each other, the range practice gets distorted. Strikes often fall short of being able to land on the opponent's body, which any real attack would need to in order to be effective. The choreographed pattern also builds a false confidence in that you only need to do one thing at a time to represent the stimulus you see. In actual combat, you need to be considering a wide array of possible attacks and responses all the time. As I said before about live combat versus kata, there's a huge gap between memorizing one response movement and watching for many, then having to respond appropriately. For all of these reasons, I consider Aikido Joe and Boken work to be of barely marginal use. I still use them from time to time, but rarely. The skills that Jonage hones are very precise and tend to confuse and frustrate students who are beginner to intermediate level. Only when a decent understanding of technique is built are students ready to benefit from what that difficult exercise has to offer. In regards to the sword cut, one thing I've heard instructors harp on is how precise a sword cut must be. They obsess about all the tiny aspects of the perfect cut and how even the tiniest deviation from perfection will ruin it entirely. This is almost entirely hogwash. Yes, a sword cut should be pretty tight, but it doesn't have to be perfect. Take a step back and realize what a sword cut is. If you are using a sharpened sword against an unarmored body, almost any stroke of the sword will do tremendous damage, particularly with a katana, which is known to be near razor sharp. You don't need perfect cutting form to cause a lot of damage with a sharp sword. No, you aren't going to cut a human in half just waving it around, but any decent cut will be extremely damaging. Would you need perfect form for cutting through armor? Armor did its job. It made penetration against weapons used against it almost impossible. Using excellent form with your sword would not negate the protection of the armor. Armor did its job. It made penetration against the weapons used against it almost impossible. Using excellent form with your sword strike would not negate the protection of the armor. 
Having excellent targeting skills would mean that you could hit a gap in the armor when you saw it, but targeting skill is not built by cutting in the empty air. That skill is built by hitting actual targets with your strikes. Swords were excellent tools for what they were designed to do. A good tool makes every job easier. The better the tool is, the easier it is for the user to do what needs to be done. A fussy tool is difficult to get the desired result. A sword is not a very fussy tool. Yes, it does require skill to wield, but if your intent is to cause damage, particularly against unarmored opponents, it's pretty easy. As of the recording of this podcast, many people are stuck with practicing alone due to the virus pandemic which has closed almost all dojos throughout the world. Joe and Boken practice are some of the few things left for us to practice when we don't have a partner. There is some merit to them, but just about anything you can do to get your body moving will be helpful. Remember, there is a lot missing from these practices, which we must understand. It's fine to do them, but realize how much is lacking with them. What do you think? Please share your ideas in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube, or go to the Facebook group Aikido the Martial Side and post a comment. The Spirit Aikido Online program is now live. Subscribers get access to video training and mentoring to techniques and training methods I've adopted from other martial arts to make my Aikido more practical. There is a link in the description section. I invite you to check it out. I always enjoy hearing from listeners of the show, whether through comments or questions. Thank you all for sharing your interest. Enjoy your training.